Welcome to the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society. Welcome to ITSB Magazine. You're listening to a new The Hacker Factory podcast with hacker maker, Philip Wiley. You're about to discover what the role of a professional hacker entails, the different specializations it holds, and what it takes to learn and become one. Enjoy the conversation as Philip and guests unveil the secrets of professional hacking a mysterious, intriguing, and often misunderstood occupation. Knowledge is power, now more than ever. BugCrowd's award-winning platform combines actionable contextual intelligence with the skill and experience of the world's most elite hackers to help leading organizations identify and fix vulnerabilities, protect customers, and make the digitally connected world a safer place. Learn more at bugcrowd.com. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Hacker Factory Podcast. I'm your host, Philip Wiley, the Hacker Maker. In each episode, I have a guest sharing the unique story and advice for those wanting to get into the cybersecurity field. In this episode, I'm very happy to uh, introduce the CEO of uh, SciCognito, Rob Gorzeev. Actually, this is the first time I've interviewed one of my employers in a podcast. So it's an honor and this is, you know, a while back on Twitter, uh, someone had recommended having you on the show, Rob. And so I think you all are going to be pretty amazed with Rob. I've, I've been pretty impressed. I mean, Rob was in Forbes 30 under 30, three consecutive times, you know, very amazing technical background. And some of the other things that really amazes me too is, you know, that I've got a whole new respect for CEOs of startups and maybe even tech companies. Maybe this is similar to tech companies that someone like yourself has the business acumen, you understand the business, you understand marketing, sales, and all these things you have to really understand. You know, your traditional CEO just manages people and, you know, works with strategy. They have a lot of people helping out, but it's really amazing to see what all you do. So uh, welcome to the show, Rob. Thank you very much, Phil. It's a pleasure to be here and uh, look forward to the great conversation. I think you're doing some great things for the industry. Uh, both in general and with this pod. So um, happy to be here and happy to share some of my thoughts on um, how people should see the industry, where is it going, and um, how more can participate in the important things that this industry does. Yeah, I think this is this would be good too. And and with your former military background, you know, there's a lot of people that are trying to transition into cybersecurity from, you know, from military. And a lot of cases, depending on what they do, that's a really good uh, pivot for them. So, uh, speaking on this subject, why don't you share your background with our listeners? Sure, happy to. So um, today, as you mentioned, I'm the CEO and co-founder of uh, uh, SciCognito. Um, which is an external risk management uh, company. Uh, we believe we're the leading one where we help uh, uh, many Fortune 100, 500, and other companies to understand how attackers see their attack surface assets. And most importantly, and that's also directly connected to my background, which I'll talk about in a second, understand what our attackers view paths of least resistance into their networks and data. Um, so we started the company about five years ago. Um, prior to that, um, 
I became the VP engineering and product. Um, that was what I was doing. De facto, it wasn't the official title. I think it was head of offensive security uh, in another startup um, that I joined when they were 40 people where I led these um, intelligence gathering solutions, uh, product development from uh, scratch to uh, many customers who were intelligence agencies, actually. Um, and we went from writing the, the first code to uh, building something that works very well for them and deploying it and the whole life cycle over a few years. And where and, and before that, I spent, I think, around five and a half years at the 8200 Elite Intelligence Unit, which is the Israeli version, I guess, of some NSA features, some CIA features. Uh, uh, some people like to say, which is true, that it's bigger than the Israeli Navy. So it is a relatively very big unit for the Israeli uh, military. Israel's Navy is relatively not huge, uh, uh, but it is a big unit. And um, it almost has to be when you take into account uh, the surroundings of Israel with organizations like um, Hezbollah, ISIS, Hamas. You have Iran that for some reason uh, declares every couple of months that they have to destroy you for no clear reason. Um, so so uh, I think these were some important milestones and where I really started to, to learn a lot about cybersecurity and started to get to become curious about it. And, and we can double click on whatever sounds interesting in all of that was around the age of 13 or 14, uh, where I quite randomly got into some IRC channels of some people that really like technology. I think that, I don't know if the term hackers was popular back then. I think it was mostly people who could code and were really, really curious and creative with what you can do. And file sharing was a new concept uh, um, in the 90s. And so people were trying random things that looked interesting with regard to file sharing, with regard to pranking your friends. So remember, as a kid, you could send this file to your friend and it was a game and you were kids, so it made sense. But uh, And it was just a prank. But you, you actually uh, uh, could send your friend this executable that does something funny or unexpected. And looking back, it's uh, the basics of social engineering and hacking. And one of the first things you realize as a curious person in such an environment, you tell yourself, hey, wait a moment. Here I'm playing with my friends and I'm doing these pranks and it's just funny and nothing dangerous happens. But what happens when bad guys do this uh, with these banker or, or what have you, that can be quite dangerous. And you learned that, uh, 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 for example, Windows for years had almost no security built in. Uh, even at uh, um, Windows XP, security was super, super, super 
uh, uh, minimal. And I think that there were points in time where it felt like Windows Defender, for example, created more opportunities uh, uh, for attackers rather than uh, uh, helped defending systems. At least some people saw that at various points in time. So very, very interesting domain. And I'll pause in a second, but I'll just share that. I think it's one of these domains that look, I don't know, standard for people who don't know it at all. Like, uh, um, I don't have a great equivalent, but it's actually super, super deep. And you have various different areas in cybersecurity. And you can be a mega expert in a couple of areas and know absolutely nothing about others. Uh, which is both very humbling, but also, I think, uh, awesome for people who are curious, want to learn more, and want to become uh, experts in something that excites them. Very interesting story uh, of how you got started and being interested in those type of things, because I kind of remember my daughter growing up being interested in some of the other file sharing. A lot of, <laughs> a lot of her peers and friends would share music that way and then end up getting viruses from sharing music. And I remember like LimeWire was one of the services they used to, to share and stuff like that. And, and a lot of them were involved with, or would get on the 4chan forum and that sort of thing. So, right. Yeah. Kinda- and, and you learn about things like, I think I learned about cryptography where uh, uh, um, a few friends wrote this code that integrated, I think it was with one of the first um, messenger apps. I don't remember what it was even, but it would auto-encrypt everything you write, and then you would have this key, and it would auto-decrypt one what some of your friends are writing. But then you could chat in this, say, IRC channel or, or this chat app, and only some of the people could read what's going on. Others would not understand anything about that, even though it was, um, yeah, it, it was code you would inject into the app. Um, and that's not how it was supposed to be used. Um, so, so yeah, these this kind of things, I think, really make you think, hey, how else can... I or someone else uh, use this and really makes you think. And if you're creative, the more knowledge you have, the more you can do. Um, and, 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 and it's quite amazing. And coding and knowing security is obviously uh, very powerful. Um, yeah, so so I remember this as uh, trying to remember <laughs> uh, the days at the age of 13, 14, 15. Very, very exciting. And, um, and the interesting thing is that different people get to cybersecurity at completely different ages. And I think it can all work completely fine. You just need to find the right people and the right community to learn from. Yeah, that's a good point because I've had people on the shows and people I know that I've helped 
get started in the industry that, you know, I always hear people that are 30, 40 or 50 years old. Am I too old to get in? And, you know, I've seen people that have started out as pen testers in their fifties and I've seen people, you know, start out all ages. So it's, you know, it's just age sometimes just the limit you put on yourself. Yeah, absolutely. If a 13 years old kid that barely knows English can get into this stuff with no technical knowledge, no reason that others can't. So how did that experience help you with the, the 8200 when you started the 8200? Mm. Were you able to, were you able to adapt to that kind of work easier? I mean, how, how was that? Yeah, for sure. Um, for sure, personally. So and the 8200 unit is, is big, as I mentioned, and um, there are many, many, many different departments and positions that require different things. Um, fortunately, I got to uh, um, a department that happens to be very relevant also to what Psychognito does today, uh, uh, when it was still very small. Um, and... I think I, I, I'm not allowed to mention numbers, but they uh, interviewed and tested many, many people. In general, by the way, just for those who are curious, um, the intelligence community slash the 8200 unit uh, invites, say, the top X percentage of all students at the age of 17 to go through these tests and then interviews. And then essentially they pick first who they want to uh, uh, um, quote unquote hire. And everyone has to enlist essentially in Israel at the age of 18. So you're going to do something in, in the army. The question is what? So uh, um, they invite the, let's call it top 5% people, top 10% people uh, 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 in terms of their studies and, and, and uh, uh, grades and so on, or some other reasons that they find potential in people. And maybe I'll share one more thing about that in a second. And then you go through these uh, tests and interviews, and I think I went through 12 days of these. Um, and then they pick who, who they, they want to pick. And by the way, a, a fact that I don't know if everyone knows is 25% of the cybersecurity companies are were founded by Israeli founders or are Israeli, 25%. And that's in a country with eight or nine million people. So it's like having a quarter of the cybersecurity industry being built in Houston, which would be... Uh, I think odd for some people simply because it's a random one city. Um, and, and, and the reason for that is when, when you uh, try to pick the, at least many of the best people and you make them, they're also enjoyed, but you make them do cybersecurity and you educate them, you give them the best tools and knowledge possible. And then they have, to, to be in that domain for between three to five years. And then you, quote unquote, release them to the wild and they can do whatever they want. But hey, they already have this amazing profession that now they have a lot of experience in. 
So most of them, or well, many, I don't know if most, but many will stay in cybersecurity, which is why uh, so many companies are founded by Israeli founders, including public companies and some of the most successful ones, um, like Palo Alto Networks and, and Checkpoint and uh, Imperva and so many others. Um, so, so that's one interesting characteristic. So regarding myself, I, I had uh, uh, um, some luck too, probably, and went through these tests, got to an amazing position that one person per year would get to. And I was also fortunate that my previous knowledge and uh, 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 um, experience was very, very helpful in that position. And I was also fortunate that it grew massively, that department, in my first couple of years in the unit. And so when, when the organization grows around you, just like in a startup, it creates all of these opportunities. Um, and after some time in the unit, I went to officer's course. And when I got back, it expanded by that time even more. And then I was fortunate again to uh, have the opportunity to become the leader of that department and that domain. Um, so, so that was an amazing experience. Um, and and I, I think that many of the uh, principles and general approach that we utilize today at Psychognito uh, originated from understanding how this type of cybersecurity is done and having a completely different perspective on cybersecurity that you don't get from going to a university or whatnot. Yeah, one of the things I would think too from that experience you gained in 8200 is the fact that when you're doing cyber defense or cyber warfare, you, you can't be wrong or if you are, it's going to mean more than, you know, a simple breach or something. It's, you know, a lot of security at risk, you know, kind of uh, similar, I guess you could say maybe more critical, but to like our critical infrastructure, like water treatment plants and that sort of thing. So on that kind of level, so it's kind of hard for you. You need to be right most of the time. So I can see where that's a really good experience, you know, because a lot of other areas in cybersecurity, you can make mistakes and it's not always bad, but in that situation- Absolutely. Absolutely. And I, I can tell you that the situation of having 18 and 19 year old, years old doing this kind of stuff, uh, 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 dealing with quote unquote cybersecurity, and you have situations where this terrorist organization, you, you learn, the intelligence community learns that they plan to uh, bomb some place and to kill dozens of people and you're told hey you and these five other people now you're on a mission to learn more about what's going on who's involved in this and how do we prevent that and that's a lot of weight and responsibility for an 18 or 19 years old uh compared to you know preparing for a test or uh trying to, to buy some uh, liquor that you're not supposed to, to buy in some college. Um, 
so 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 that is a very unique experience by the way that's why in terms of uh uh uh, uh people committing suicide even there's a lot of stress in 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 in, in such organizations in general in intelligence agencies and uh, 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 I have no idea with regard to police departments and such, but maybe in some areas there too. So when people's lives is on the line or very strategic matters like countries' infrastructure, um, yeah, it's super stressful, but uh, I, I can share, I don't know the NSA and CIA from the inside. But I can share that the 8200 unit is trying to pick people who are more resilient than average so that they can withstand that at a very young age, right? Um, and the right people can rise to the occasion and perform better, learn faster, collaborate really well. One of the unique characteristics, I believe, of the 8200 unit and the reason that some successful people come out of it is the collaboration and knowledge sharing uh, in, in the unit is, is amazing. I heard a few years ago something I, I really loved, a quote I really loved from, I, I think it was the Lego company CEO, funnily enough. <laughs> but he said, he, he was asked, how do you measure your, your, your uh, uh, employees. And he said, by, I, I measure them by how much they help others and ask for help. And, and I thought, what a wonderful response. Not necessarily by how much they produce, but how much they help others and ask for help. And in a sense, it's a bit counterintuitive maybe to hear something like this from a CEO. It, may, it might sound like a fluffy thing to say, but it's actually super powerful because when that's true, people learn faster and better. Um, they work as a team much more rather than individuals uh, or just individuals, and, and, and that's amazing. And it's especially unique, I think, in cybersecurity where there is so much knowledge to, to gain and also some people in cybersecurity are very competitive. And so knowledge sharing is not something that everyone does, which is also why I really appreciate what you do in our industry. And I think that um, that creates tons of value and can literally change people's uh, lives too. Uh, um, if they learn a new profession that they really love and are excited about and... Uh, um, they can also uh, uh, make some money from. So re really unique environment. And I think that a lot can be learned from building such environments. And it's definitely how, you know, how it affected us in building Psycognito and, and how we're trying to foster knowledge sharing and um, also meritocracy. Yeah, one of the cool things I think too that, that you know, you're talking about you know, working together as a team, uh, I can see how that in your days in 8200 and then the way it works in Psycognito is if you think about consulting companies and people are doing pen tests, everyone's working independent of each other, 
you know, it seems like if you work together as a team that you would be more productive and, you know, maybe some people don't, you know, cause a lot of times in consulting, you'll get thrown into something maybe you're not ready for, but maybe if you're doing a piece of it, working with a team, maybe there would be a better learning opportunity and produce better results. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that, um, organizations and leaders should realize that their teams will be performing better and will also be just happier people uh, if they foster that kind of an environment. But in many cases, by default, it's the opposite. The people with the most experience and knowledge prefer not to share it consciously or unconsciously, by the way. No one is, or almost no one is a bad person. Uh, uh, But by default, some people will not share their knowledge and experience, and people love to feel like superstars, right? Uh, everyone has something like that uh, in us, I guess, um, at some level between 1 and 100, right? Um, but if you can reduce that and massively increase uh, 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 how much you give credit, for example, for people who are helping others, and encourage people uh, uh, to, 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 to ask for help and make sure that works well. So that just allows you to, to design, build, expand um, much better, stronger, happier organizations. That's very, very true. Just sometimes, you know, just being recognized for what you do is, you know, sometimes better than, you know, getting a, a raise, you know, knowing that you're appreciated and that what you're doing is helping you know, is, is a big deal. So it's, that's good. Interesting thing about the sharing information. One of the things I kind of experienced in my career as a sysadmin is always notice how there was some people, usually some, not always the older people, because one of the guys in, in the Unix team was about my age. And then there was someone else as a developer that was, you know, much older that how it was seemed like they felt like it was job security not to share the information they had. Because matter of fact, this one guy was the former CIO and he was working for the company. He is also a developer. He's a working manager. So he developed different code and stuff and he ended up leaving the company and came back as a consultant. Because I think before he even left the company, he had a consulting company and they were buying servers from him and he was doing coding and stuff. So he left the company. He's the only one who knew the code and how to maintain it. So he came back as a consultant, making a lot more money, bringing on his own consultants and still selling the company hardware. Yeah. Job security is a very dangerous thing for the organization. And it usually doesn't make your colleagues much happier. No. And you know what else that does too? If you want to go on holiday, if you want to take time off, how are you going to leave if no one else knows how to do it? Right. <laughs> if right. something breaks in the middle of the night, you're the one that's always going to get called. So there's disadvantages right. to that too. Yeah. And it's a very dangerous track. Um, one, I had a grandfather who was, um, I think, the chief engineer of this uh, uh, um, factory. And he had such an issue too where from my basic understanding where he wanted to be the guy that knows how to fix everything and the guy that you'll call with when something is wrong but he ended up waking up at 3 or 4 a.m sometimes going to the factory we're talking about i don't know 60 or something years ago 
but you end up going to the factory at 4 a.m. because guess what? You're the only person that knows how to do this small thing that fixes the machine. So maybe you are very proud and you, you feel important, which we all want to, to feel. But the bottom line is it's not good for the organization. It's usually not really good for you. And the people who build, design the organizations ideally should make sure that that that's not how uh, too many people carry themselves. Even when it's coming from a, a good, positive place of, I want to contribute, I want to feel important here, but there are other ways to do that and get the same feeling. Yeah, I totally agree. You can, as you mentioned before, collaborating, you know, if you teach others and help others that you can help them, that looks good for you as well. Because I mean, some cases people don't want to look weak. They're going to try to do it themselves. They don't need help. But then there's some people that do it for selfish reasons, which I've seen kind of both, but they all don't have very good, uh, you know, outcomes. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. So one of the things I think we should touch on as well is just, you know, because you had all this technical experience, you start this startup, you co-found and start this startup. And so where did all this knowledge of business and sales come from? Was this something you just learned along the way? Yeah, you pretty much have to, <laughs> if you're a technical founder. And I remember that when we started, and we started in Israel, but I moved to the Bay Area in California after like three or four months after we started. So I remember that early on, I knew that uh, my strength is that I know our domain reconnaissance, let's call it <laughs> really, really well, uh, and from super relevant angles. I felt like uh, I understand how the problem should be solved. I assumed that if even intelligence agencies couldn't solve this portion of it, defensive teams uh, uh, um, probably can't do it yet as well. And, and it seems like I was right about that. But I also knew that I know very little about go-to-market, sales, marketing, and so on. And in fact, because my whole knowledge for about a decade was based on offense. So that was true to the extent I didn't even really know what a CISO is, how security teams, defensive security teams look like, what exactly are they trying to achieve, what are they measured by, um, what are, do they do, do their budgets look like, which is relevant if you eventually need to also sell something. Um, so not only that I had only basic knowledge of sales and marketing from my uh, last company, but I didn't know almost anything on defensive cyber teams. So I had to learn all of this from scratch. Um, fortunately, and that's actually why I came to the Bay Area, by the way, in a time where I knew literally two people in the United States. <laughs> who had nothing to do with cybersecurity. Uh, so it was a real leap of faith. Uh, that worked very well. But uh, fortunately, I met some great people, 
in in my first few weeks here even and they uh, got excited about our vision and our background and they connected uh, me with, with with other people and well CISO's founders investors from whom uh, I was able to learn a lot and very quickly um and there's no other way to do it rather than a lot of hard work. So talking to many people, really listening, having an open mind in some areas, and sometimes that can be uh, more challenging than learning, is unlearning. Meaning for years, you might have heard ABC about company building or sales, but the reality is different and you need to unlearn some things you know and learn new things and new approaches to 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 to, to things you you thought were very right or at least at the time um so i found that uh being able to learn <laughs> and learn having an open mind making others feel and know that that's your approach um and and understanding what you should learn and from whom are incredibly important skills when you enter a new role or a new domain. It's also completely true, you know, when, when you uh, get into cybersecurity, right? Everything I just said. Um, yeah, so, so I'm really glad I was fortunate to meet some very uh, uh, helpful and willing people when I moved here. Um, but th these kind of efforts and putting the time and effort in are, are absolutely necessary if you want to be really good at, at something. So one of the, one of the main reasons people tune into the podcast is to learn things that could help them in their, uh, journey into cybersecurity. So what tips would you have for someone that's wanting to get into cybersecurity? Mm-hmm. Um, so first off, I would try to explore a little bit before I, <laughs> quote unquote, exploit, uh, uh, meaning I would try to listen to a bunch of different podcasts and, uh, and, and Twitter accounts and blogs just so I can map the different areas in cybersecurity and figure what am I most attracted to. For example, penetration testing, compliance, privacy protection, network security, cloud con configuration and architecture. Are, these are just some examples of a, a few different areas in cybersecurity that are so different from one another that in, in a way there's almost nothing uh, connecting these, or, or very little in any case, if, if you're an expert in one of these. Like you can be an expert in cloud configuration and architecture, but you might know nothing really about penetration testing or application security versus network security, right? Um, so, so early on, try to listen to different sources of, of knowledge and figure what are you more attracted to. Um, then I would definitely look to uh, um, connect with 
a few individuals or a couple of communities that seem to to uh, deal focus on areas you're interested in and seem to be open and ones you can connect with and learn from. And I think that's something that you do, for example, uh, frequently. And then trying to get um, an advice from these people and communities about, hey, topic, topics ABC are really interesting for me. Where can I learn more? And then put in the, the work and effort and, and, and really read and try things and spend time and don't get frustrated too soon with anything because there is this saying, I'm not sure what's the source of that, definitely not me, but uh, I, I remember this saying that to be great at something, you need to put in 10,000 hours in that thing. I think it's uh, quite known. I don't know if I completely agree with that, but there's absolutely something in it. You can't expect to become an expert or great at something after a few weeks, almost no matter what it is. Um, and so I, I think that's the, the right general uh, journey structure to go from I hear some things about cybersecurity. I'm curious about some things. And through finding what you want to focus on, finding the right community and people to learn from. And I think that there is something really not just humbling, but great at uh, understanding, okay, I know very little about this domain. Now I want to connect with a few experts that I really respect. And I'm completely fine with being in the position of learning a lot from someone else who's the expert and I'm the student. It's a completely fine position, uh, no matter your age and your past. Some people feel un uncomfortable with that for various reasons, but it's actually a very powerful and very important uh, position one can be in and, and that's the fastest way to, to grow and, and learn. I remember that despite the knowledge I had and so on, when I got to the 8200 unit and I had uh, 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 and, and this person, he wasn't the team leader. He was like the tech lead uh, person in that team who was just two or three years older than I was, but I extremely respected him and made him feel that I really respect him, really want to learn from him. And even after I uh, had uh, success and people started to respect my work and my way of thinking and so on, I continued to, to uh, 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 be in that position with him so that he feels very willing to, to share more with me and teach me more. And didn't go to the position of, oh, I now had some success and now people respect me. So I'm not a quote unquote student anymore. Now I'm a pro. Because I think that really changes how people uh, talk to you and how willing they will be to uh, teach you new things and show with you new perspectives, especially if you might not like these perspectives. 
but you'll benefit so much from getting that additional input and, and perspectives. So uh, I think it's just a very important aspect that is rarely done right, especially in large organizations. So just an interesting thought. That's some good advice there. So what about as far as coding, do you think that's in, important for someone getting into cybersecurity? Is it required? Uh, it completely depends on what you're trying to do. For example, if your passion is social engineering and phishing, you can probably become a huge expert without knowing any coding. However, coding is just a super powerful capability that can contribute to absolutely anything that you do. Of course, outside of cybersecurity and even outside of technology. Uh, even if you're <laughs> a banker or what have you, you might be able to be 10 times more effective if you can code. And there are languages like Python that are really easy to learn, are super powerful, um, very relevant to cybersecurity as well. So I would definitely recommend learning at least the basics of something like Python uh, 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 for, for at least a few months so you can script for the very, very least. If you can actually code and invest a few years in learning that while you're learning other things, that can massively help. Uh, but it also depends on on what you're, it really depends on what you're trying to achieve and the specific domain you're interested in. So what are your thoughts on degrees and certifications? <laughs> um, so I personally have a very strong bias, overall bias. Well, not exactly against it, but against making it mandatory or spending too much time looking at that area in someone's CV. For example, especially in cybersecurity, some of the top experts have no degrees and no certifications. Um, my co-founder and CTO uh, is one of the top st software architects I ever met and, and crazily amazing coder too. And he has no uh, degree and no certification, neither do I. Neither do many, many other people I know. Um, so I don't think that's mandatory. Now, the cases where it can be very helpful is when you want to establish credibility. So it does help you. It can definitely help you to establish credibility in various jobs and various companies. People will uh, look for these, especially if you don't have the right experience yet. Or, or referrals. But actual experience and referrals, good referrals, uh, can probably be worth 10 times more. But I completely understand why uh, certifications and degrees can help you establish, it's not exactly reputation, but credibility, really, uh, 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 for various positions. Very so, interesting. so it's about, you know, building building your strategy based on where you are today. What have you done to date? What can you do over the next quality year? 
to establish credibility in one way or another and building your strategy from, from there. And uh, uh, I can share that personally. So um, in, in Israel and maybe Jewish families, having a degree is a super important thing, no matter what you want to do in life. And I remember that while I was the head of offensive security for this company, which was de facto a VP engineering and product position, and I got offers to be a VP engineering and then a co-founder and CTO in another company and w- while I was, I think, 24 years old or something, right? And still, <laughs> my mother was concerned that I don't have any degree. Uh, to, to, and, 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 and at some point, I said, you know what? Maybe I'll try it out. And there's this university called the Open University in Israel where you don't have to go to a classroom, but it's actually... They have these very challenging tests and whatnot, and they give you these books and materials, and then you have to pass these uh, tests and, and, and do these projects and so on. So I went for one semester. It was somewhat interesting. It was computer science. But it felt like, for me, like a waste of time because I was already de facto a VP engineering and product in a successful startup at the age of 24 and and you scratch your head and say well how is that going to to help me and i think that for example if you're a strong pen tester in a legit organization company and you have uh, um, reputable people believing you're really good and you have recommendations in that situation i don't think that certifications and degrees will matter much especially as you know there are three and a half million open positions in cybersecurity today up from two or three hundred thousand positions a few years ago so maybe i am biased <laughs> against it simply because of the way things worked for me and for many people i know but um yeah that that, that that's how i see it so we're getting down towards the end of the show. Is there anything you'd like to share that we didn't discuss? Um, maybe this general thought of, you know, this industry is exponentially growing. You know, when you look at the fact that according to Microsoft and I think others, um, cyber breaches have created $3 trillion of damage last year. Um, and the industry or, or companies spend only about $200, $220 billion a year on cybersecurity. So from a basic economics perspective, the industry has to massively grow still. And that's even when hackers are still uh, inefficient in, in ha- how they do what they do once they breach organizations. For example, the only... Um, ask for 10 or 50k ransom instead of doing other things that I will not share here that could yield millions of dollars or more for them. So attackers even are still massively inefficient and ineffective relatively to what they could do. 
and still we're in this very extreme situation where three trillion dollars of damage slash gains would be one of the top GDPs in the world, three times than Russia's GDP, if I remember correctly, just for comparison. Uh, so it's an incredible industry that is constantly changing. And so if you're considering entering this industry or, or uh, deepening your, your, your knowledge and, and, and skills in whatever, an industry where the need is real, it affects people and companies in a very real way, it's exponentially growing, and the challenge is also very real and is changing, which makes it both interesting and it also creates more opportunities. Because if I'm a coal miner, maybe things don't change for, I don't know, 300 years or, 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 or dozens of years in, in this coal mine. But in cybersecurity, things change every year, definitely every few years. So that just creates a bigger opportunity for people who are smart, that put in the work, that can learn quickly. So uh, highly recommend that, that, that people learn more, expand their knowledge, and also find the right companies, clients, teams, communities uh, to work with and spend their time with. Yeah, that's that's some great insight there. And one of the things you have to look at too with talking about cybersecurity expanding, just look at technology, how we keep getting all these newer technologies and things keep evolving. Those things have to be secured. They're threat they're now, you know, they're threat vectors that can be used to exploit to get into companies. So Right. Completely agree. Well, thanks for being on the show. I really appreciate it. It was good to, to learn a little more about you. And thanks for sharing your advice. Yeah, it was a pleasure, Phil. Thank you for inviting me. And uh, hopefully uh, folks will find it uh, interesting. Thanks, everyone, for joining. And we'll see you on the next episode. Bug Crowd's award-winning platform combines actionable contextual intelligence with the skill and experience of the world's most elite hackers to help leading organizations identify and fix vulnerabilities, protect customers, and make the digitally connected world a safer place. Learn more at bugcrowd.com. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Hacker Factory Podcast with Philip Wiley. If you learned something new and this podcast made you think, then share ITSBmagazine.com with your friends, family, and colleagues. If you represent a company and wish to associate your brand with our conversations, sponsor one or more of our podcast channels. We hope you will come back for more stories and follow us on our journey. You can always find us at the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society.